0: Coming back to the United States is always a little bit like going through decompression after you've been deep sea diving. Um, <clears throat> it's wonderful to be back with you. One of the questions that people ask missionaries is, uh, what is, what in the world is happening? What is happening in the world? God is at work in the world. There are many positive things going on. There are wonderful things that are happening across the continents of Asia, Africa. There are spots of light even in Europe, Latin America. But one of the questions that troubles many of us is, why is it in the Western world in particular that the people of God, who Jesus said we are to be salt and light in the world, seem to be having so little impact on our society around us, and so little impact through our own lives. There are a lot of reasons for this, I'm sure that we could talk about. There are cultural reasons, the influence of TV and the media, the social problem of... I read something this last year that really clicked in my mind and sort of turned on a light bulb. It said, the United States is one of the few countries in the world where there is an immense canyon of uh, difference between the values held by many people in the society and the leadership elite. They said, uh, the population of the United States, I think this was written by a European, is as pious as most countries in Africa, but the elite is more secular than Sweden. And I think that's true. These are all problems but they're not really the heart of the problem. One of my earliest memories of my grandfather's home over in Oregon uh, was in the garage. You would walk into the garage and standing there was, uh, I believe it looked like it was 20 feet long, but I'm sure it was only about eight feet. It was one of the largest saws I have ever seen in my life. It was a a huge two-man saw that is used for was used for logging before the advent of uh, power saws. You would get a, a man on each end. Uh, this is one of those jobs that was not normally done by women. And uh, pull back and forth until these huge trees would uh, tip over. The other thing I remember seeing always near that saw were a couple of double uh, axes with double-bladed heads on them. The reason for those were that uh, once you'd chopped away for about 15 minutes, uh, you didn't have to stop and sharpen the axe again. You could turn it over and go from the other side. My grandfather with his brothers logged on their homestead in the Willamette Valley in Oregon at the turn of the century and the beginning of this century, and those were uh, reminders of what had gone on there. He used to tell me stories of these logging experiences, how that uh, they would take the logs down to the river and then float them down to the sawmill. But occasionally these huge logs would be caught in a narrow place in the river and a log jam would result. Hundreds and hundreds sometimes of these huge, huge logs would be tied up like toothpicks all together like a huge beaver dam across the river. And uh, somebody had to solve the problem of that log jam. Now, my grandfather always vowed that he was never foolish enough to be the one to volunteer to do this, but uh, someone actually had to walk out on those logs and find the key log and with a pike uh, loosen it up until the whole thing, often with a huge crack, would break loose. And then, of course, the next task was to run as fast as you could across the logs of back to the other side. Uh, as I said, my grandfather, being my grandfather, of course, was too smart to volunteer for that, but um, <coughs> otherwise I probably wouldn't be here. Um, the key log in that log jam, you could move all kinds of logs, but until you found the key log, the log jam would remain. And if we as the people of God and in our individual lives are to be salt and light in the world, what's holding us back? Well, one of the closest friends of Jesus was the young man who later became known as the Apostle John. Tradition tells us that he was the only one of Jesus' original followers who did not end have his life ended in martyrdom. He died of old age, although he had been persecuted and exiled to the island of Patmos. And toward the end of his life, as tradition says, he wrote down in three small letters in the New Testament some thoughts and reflections he had for the young men and women whom he had mentored in their faith in Christ. He wrote them About the issues of spiritual life. And I'd like to look with you this morning at one of those letters, the letter of 1 John. And I'd like to have you open your Bible with me, if you have it here, to 1 John chapter 1. And let's see what the Apostle John, as this old saint, had to say about our life with God. He said, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we beheld and our hands handled concerning the word of life. He's talking about his time with Jesus. And the life was manifested and we've seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write, that our joy may be full. And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The old apostle was focusing on a very important issue in the life of faith. He was focusing on the fact that there is a difference between having a relationship with God and living in fellowship with God. That's not very different in our human relationships, is it? We might have a relationship to someone, perhaps our father or our mother, but perhaps we aren't living in fellowship with them a, a brother or a sister, a friend. There is a difference between relationship and fellowship. And the old apostle is focusing in on this because he wants to point out to us some several dangers that confront us as we walk and try to walk with the Lord. And these dangers or spiritual problems, spiritual issues are really where we can see what the log jam is in our life. This is the heart of the reason that the people of God are not impacting the world around them, that we feel sometimes powerlessness spiritually in our own life. And I'd like to have you look with me this morning at several of these dangers that the Apostle John wants to alert us to. First of all, I'd like to call your attention to verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, John says, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The first danger that I want to call our attention to is the danger of a life lived in self-deception. Last Sunday, I had the opportunity of teaching in a Sunday school class at Peninsula Bible Church. And uh, we had a discussion about this. How, what are some examples of the way that we deceive ourselves? There were some pretty powerful examples that came up in that group. Uh, examples of relationships where, boy, it looked like things were all right, but really there was just kind of a dry rot that had set in, and finally the relationship just broke. Examples of believing lies of believing that a life filled with things is a life of happiness. Uh, I'm reminded of the statement of Jeb Magruder, who was one of the, those who was indicted and sent to prison for the Watergate break-in. He was at the pinnacle of power before he ended up in prison. And he wrote afterwards, he said, I spent my whole adult life madly climbing the ladder of success only to discover at the top that it was leaned against the wrong wall. What a tragedy. What a self-deception. We are capable of a great deal of self-deception. And uh, coming from Cole Community Church and uh, teaching in the uh, venerable tradition of David Roper and Chris Riddell, I want to read from Winnie the Pooh this morning. This is a heavy-duty theological volume, and I'm sure that most of you uh, are aware of it already. Uh, I would like to read a section from the chapter in which Pooh and Piglet go hunting and nearly catch a woozle. One fine winter's day, when Piglet was brushing away the snow in front of his house, he happened to look up, and there was Winnie the Pooh. Pooh was walking round and round in a circle, thinking of something else, and when Piglet called to him, he just went on walking. "'Hello,' said Piglet. "'What are you doing?' "'Hunting,' said Pooh. "'Hunting what?' "'Tracking something,' said Winnie the Pooh mysteriously. "'Tracking what?' said Piglet, coming closer. "'That's just what I ask myself. "'I ask myself, what?' "'What do you think you will answer?' "'I shall have to wait until I catch up with it,' said Winnie the Pooh. "'Now, look here!' He pointed to the ground in front of him. "'What do you see there?' "'Tracks,' said Piglet. "'Paw marks!' He gave a little squeak of excitement. "Pooh, do you think it's a, a, a woosel?' "'It may be,' said Pooh. "'Sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. "'You never can tell with paw marks.' "'Piglet joins his friend, and they continue walking around this grove of trees,' And suddenly, Winnie the Pooh stopped and pointed excitedly in front of him. Look! What? said Piglet with a jump. And then to show he hadn't really been frightened, he jumped up and down once or twice in an exercising sort of way. The tracks, said Pooh. A third animal has joined the other two. Pooh! cried Piglet. Do you think it's another woozle? No, said Pooh, because it makes different marks. It's either two woozles and one, as it might be, whizzle, or two, as it might be, whizzles, and one, if so it is, woozle. Let us continue to follow them. So they went on feeling just a little anxious now in case the three animals in front of them were of hostile intent. The story goes on, and uh, they continue following these tracks. And finally, though, uh, a voice comes to them from the tree up above them. They've been walking around this grove of trees. And it's Christopher Robin, their friend. Christopher Robin came slowly down his tree. Silly old bear, he said. What were you doing? First you went round the grove twice by yourself. And then Piglet ran after you. And you went round together again. And then you were just about to go around a fourth time. Wait a moment, said Winnie the Pooh, holding up his paw. He sat down and thought in the most thoughtful way he could. Then he fitted his paw into one of the tracks. And then he scratched his nose twice and stood up. Yes, said Winnie the Pooh. I see now, said Winnie the Pooh. I have been foolish and deluded, said he. I am a bear of no brain at all. What was the difficulty here? Pooh and Piglet were following their own tracks, weren't they? Now, were they on the right track? Hard question. Yes and no. They were following the tracks, but there was a problem, wasn't there? What was their mistake? The mistake, and here's the deep theological truth, uh, the problem was that Pooh and Piglet didn't have the right perspective. They thought the problem was not connected with them. We are masters of self deception. We look at the problems in our own lives, in our family, in the world around us, and we have the great ability of disconnecting those problems from ourselves. We are masters of self deception. And the only solution spiritually is a willingness to be honest with ourselves and recognize, as Pooh did, that the problem is intimately related to us. This was the turning point in the story of the prodigal son, you probably remember. Uh, You know the story, a good Jewish boy wants his inheritance, father gives it to him, goes to far land, this is the abbreviated version, goes to far land, ends up feeding pigs. In the pigsty, it says in Luke chapter 15, he came to himself and said, my father's hired men have more than enough to eat and here I am starving. I'd like to focus your attention on those three little words, he came to himself, or four words, he came to himself. We can only come to ourselves when we can gain a perspective outside of ourselves. But that requires something else. That requires a relationship with others. Uh, Pooh and Piglet wandering around this grove of trees, tracking their own tracks in the snow, might have gone on a pretty long time if Christopher Robin hadn't said something. What are you doing? The key to overcoming the danger of self-deception in our spiritual lives is relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ is a accountable relationship where others have the right and the privilege given to us given to them by us of saying what are you doing when we were in palo alto Uh, the friends who were staying with took us to uh, visit the sculpture garden at Stanford University where there are uh, quite a number of bronze statues by the famous famous French master of the last century, Rodin. The largest work is sort of Rodin's life work. There are only six copies of it in the world poured in bronze. Uh, It's a huge thing. It's called The Gates of Hell, it got that name because the original commission that Rodin had to make this was for a, a gate and it was to be modeled after Dante's Inferno. But he played with this and worked with it and redid it his entire life. It was sort of the the source and the the, the well of all of his inspiration practically for all of his works. Right at the top of these gates is the first and most important model of his famous statue, the Thinker. You remember this statue where the guy's sitting down and he's leaning over and he has his hand to his mouth. As we were looking at these uh, this, these statues, the woman who was explaining them to us, the docent, said something that I had never known before. She called our attention to the fact that the Thinker, his ears were, are closed His eyes have no pupils and his hand covers his mouth. It's the perfect picture of a human being living in absolute isolation. Without relationships. There's no other person there. He sits in glorious isolation over the gates of hell. And I submit that that is a picture of modern life and of modern men and women people without relationships who in your life can ask you silly old bear what are you doing if we're to avoid the danger of self-deception and be truly honest with ourselves we need to be honest about this And we sometimes need help to reach that degree of honesty. So, the first danger is the danger of self deception. The second danger that the old apostle points out is in verse 6 If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. The second danger is the danger of a life lived in the shadows. One of my very earliest memories of meeting Horst Klaus Hofmann, whom some of you know as the founder of uh, the Reichenbach Fellowship, was in a meeting. We were meeting as leaders of different student ministries. I was directing the work of Campus Crusade in Germany at the time, and there were representatives from the Navigators and InterVarsity and a number of other groups, including uh, the Reichenbach Fellowship. And. We were meeting as leaders for two days to discuss what qualities we valued in staff that worked with us. And we began by just going around the circle talking about what particular qualities we appreciated in our staff that we worked with. And I remember exactly what my colleague and I said uh, in good Campus Crusade fashion. We said we appreciate a, a heart for God and a teachable attitude. Well, those are good things. But I will never forget what Horst Klaus said. He said, the primary quality that I look for in the people that I work with is transparency. Is that there are no secret zones in their life. That doesn't mean that we have to know everything about each other. It doesn't mean that we tell everything to everyone. But that there are no Zones that are off limits in our relationship with one another when we're living in accountability with one another before the Lord. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in one of the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Uh, Purity of heart has to do with this transparency. Uh, The secret to a laser beam and the power of a laser beam is, is that it is channeled It is light that is channeled through an absolutely pure crystal. Purity is not just some Victorian puritanical idea. Purity is the secret of power. And it is the secret of spiritual power. And the danger of a life in the shadows is that it's a danger of a life of powerlessness. When we make quote, little compromises. We write spiritual checks, as it were, that aren't backed up with real truth in our own lives. And how often we do that, don't we? How often it's essential for us to ask forgiveness of our own children because we are not living what we speak, at least at the moment where we have to ask for forgiveness. The loss of spiritual power in our generation is a loss related to these shadow zones in our life and in our fellowship in the body of Christ. Uh, Jesus used the word for actor, the Greek word Hippocrates, hypocrite, more often than anyone else in the entire New Testament. And this is the problem of living in shadows is the problem of living for the crowd, for living for the effect that it makes on others. But in reality, having a spiritual emptiness in our own heart. And what is the cost? Remember what Jesus said. He said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The loss of clarity in our own lives... Can result in a loss of fellowship with God. The psalmist said, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And you know, most people finally reach the point where they realize the things that they thought were going to give them satisfaction don't really do so. But God does. And the price of a life lived in the shadows is that we don't have that deep fellowship with God that really satisfies the thirst of our soul. What's to do? Well, I would like to suggest, I'll make some suggestions at the end of our time this morning, but I'd like to make sort of a preliminary suggestion. I'd like to suggest that it requires a conscious decision on our part to seek the light, to seek openness and clarity and transparency in our life. Many of you probably remember uh, the film by Barbara Streisand called Yentl. Uh, Yentl is the story of a Jewish girl who grew up in a small village in Poland at the end of the last century or beginning of this century. Her father was a rabbi and she desperately wanted to learn the traditions of the Jewish teachers. Now, women weren't allowed to go to yeshiva, to a Torah school at that time, and her father taught her at home, which wasn't exactly authorized either, but uh, people didn't have a lot to say about it because it was in the privacy of their own home. But when her father died, she made a very interesting decision. She Disguised herself as a boy and went to school. Well, this went along fine. She was one of the more brilliant students. She'd been learning her entire life the traditions of the rabbis, but she fell in love with another student. And finally, one evening in the film, you see her uh, walking along singing a song. I wanted the shadows, she sang. I don't anymore. No matter what happens, I won't anymore. I've run from the sunlight, afraid it saw too much. The moon had the one light I breathed in, I walked in. No matter what happens, I can't anymore. Far too many mornings the curtains were drawn. It's time they were opened to welcome the dawn. No matter what happens, it can't be the same anymore." In a different way, I'd like to recommend that as a fundamental decision that needs to be made if you're seeking clarity in your life and spiritual power. A conscious decision to seek the light. The third danger that the Apostle points out to us is in verse 7 and verse 10. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. But if we say that we have not sinned in verse 10, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. One of the dangers of living this way and one of the problems related to it is this: the danger of a life lived in isolation. I touched on this earlier where Christopher Robin could call down to Winnie the Pooh, what are you doing? So often, what is missing in our lives are those relationships with another brother or sister in Christ who can ask us, what is really going on in your life? Or where we can go to someone whom we trust spiritually and honestly say, I'm really struggling with something. I'm struggling with a problem at work. I'm struggling with a temptation. I'm struggling whatever. The danger of a life lived in isolation. Because you see, the secret of God's power coming into our lives is intimately related to this idea of fellowship with one another. Uh, Up in the area where we live in Germany, Anne and I sometimes go for a walk, uh, and there are huge power lines that lead from the south to the north. And those power lines carry 100,000 volts or more. But there's no little line connecting our house with those power lines. It's probably a good thing. I don't know what I'd do with 100,000 volts. But the way that that power in those huge cross-country lines is transmitted to my tape recorder, the lights in the house, is through a transformer station. I'll do apologies to the electrical engineers among us. Uh, these little packets of energy are divided up from the big energy that's coming through those lines and distributed to my razor, to the TV, to the oven, whatever. The power of God is there, like those giant cross-country lines. But the transformer station is often missing. And the transformer station is brothers and sisters in Christ with whom we open the scriptures together, confront us, and whom we can ask, and be vulnerable with before the Lord. In closing, I would like to recommend to you four steps that we can take to have spiritual clarity in our lives and experience God's power to be salt and light in the world. The first, as I already mentioned, is absolute honesty with oneself. It is so seldom that we have quiet, genuine quiet. But I want to recommend that to you. To take a moment A day, perhaps, even. But if not a day, just an hour. Quietly, alone, with a pencil and paper. And honestly ask yourself, where is my life? With God? With my family? And with my life situation? Honesty with oneself. Point one. Secondly, I want to recommend to us that we ask God to ignite a deep hunger for himself in our hearts. Because only God is the fountain of life and can really fulfill the deepest wishes of our life. Thirdly, I want to commend to you genuine honesty with a brother or sister. Uh, One of the friends of the Apostle John James wrote in his little letter in the New Testament, Confess your faults one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. I want to recommend to us finding a brother or sister whom we trust in Christ, with whom we can be genuinely honest, begin to be genuinely honest. And fourthly, it's associated with that, I would like to encourage us to make a concrete commitment. To be accountable to at least one other brother or sister, to give them the right to say to us, as Christopher Robin did, What are you doing? Because you see, that's the secret to spiritual power, the secret to transforming the world around us. The real problem begins with us, and the real solution begins with God's Spirit working out these things in our heart. Let's pray together. Father, so often we are like Pooh and Piglet wandering around that grove, tracking our own tracks. We thank you that your word comes to us and that you have given us to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ to honestly challenge each other to right conduct, to love, and to good deeds. I pray you'll make us bold to follow your path. Amen.